Who am I? Why am I here? Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I shall not seek and I will not accept the nomination of my party for another term as your president. Tear down this wall. And the wall just got 10 feet taller. We're going to California and Texas and New York. And we're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. From the second floor of the AC building, for the last time, Aww. we're here together at the end of all things. It's election shock therapy. We're back Aww. for one last bah, time. Bah, bah, I know. Bah, bah, bah. This is our last time from this floor. Yeah, it is. Before the space, you know, so I feel I, like the end of like sound of music the space like, crumbles into even Mountain Dew. Now, <laughs> even now, officers are waiting to take you away to <laughs> other location and move out. And officers move the engineers are waiting in. to take you away. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're waiting yes, to take our stuff ladies away. Ladies and gentlemen, we are in a police standoff. <laughs> That's right. Yep. <laughs> I don't know. All right, let's seriously. We have all these people like wandering the halls, packing up computers, chairs, pushing stuff around. They are literally sitting in the chairs, scooting around. I've seen them doing that. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. When I came down to record today, <laughs> mm-hmm. I kind of wondered, was this table and chair still going to be here? <laughs> yep. I didn't I know. know. I know. They haven't touched this room. The actually. physicist came to my office and spray painted the wall. Dr. Barnes, tear down this wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, if, uh, if this makes no sense to you, it doesn't make any sense to us either. But here's what's happening. We, uh, <laughs> the history of political science departments are on the move because as of fall of 2019, my office um, along with some combination of some of our colleagues' offices, will become the Fluid Dynamics Lab uh, here at Something Beth University like as we roll out a mechanical yeah. engineering major, and they need some space to mechanically engineer some things. And they've been not excited about us coming down here to podcast. So in the middle of their yeah. in the middle of their experiments, like, correct? You yes. may not be right. in the Fluid Engineering Lab podcasting. So we're I believe have the to quote was, "Your hot air will decalibrate our instruments." I think that's <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. So we're on the move. We're on the move. We, uh, next time you hear uh, election shock therapy, it'll probably be live from the fourth floor of the CC building. Yeah. And Sam, uh, you were talking a little bit about the history of these buildings. So yes, uh, t- what uh, AC is Academic Center, right? CC it's is the Clausen Center, right? Uh, but After the pickle, <clears throat> right? But when I was a student That's not here, true. <laughs> no, uh, when I was a student here, that was the FA building, so the Fine Arts building. So CWC was taught in FA three thirteen. Mm. So it took oh. me a while when I came back to teach here to relearn uh, what that building mm-hmm. was called. So yeah. I brought that up to say. That the uh, the titles of these buildings are fluid, so we don't know that this actually AC second may go away as an entity because to call the science building the academic complex is right. a little problematic, right? Because yeah. is are, are the human arts and humanities not also academic? So well, clearly not. I I would yeah. presume this building will get <laughs> will get renamed at some point. Yeah, and if you're out there and you're listening and you want to give money, yeah, we would encourage you to do that and maybe ask for your name to be put on it. And so. I would say if you're out there and you're willing to give money, if you want to rename this podcast feed because live from AC. Second, is it going to make? <laughs> That's true. We would use. This, we would take a sponsor, and we Perhaps, would go for election shock therapy brought to you by Tostitos. <laughs> Tostitos. Well, and honestly, like to to become like the name brand for this podcast would require a lot less money than trying to actually well, get your I don't name sell on myself that cheaply, Andy. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you sell yourself cheaper than Bethel. Just real, just real quick, what product would you love to endorse this podcast? Oh wow! Uh, Can I, I'll go first. Give you a chance to think. Okay. Um, election Shock Therapy brought to you by Hot Pockets. Hot Podcast. <laughs> oh, wow. You even like have a marketing campaign. Oh, I'm oh, in for this. And everything. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They owe us money now. I don't know. I, I, I'll just go with Hostess. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Hostess smooth. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Because yeah. you can mix it up. Like if you get tired of one thing. One Hostess yeah. with three ding-dongs. That's here. right. <laughs> 
<laughs> we'll leave it to our That's listeners good. to decide who's who. Oh, no, I think they know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It seems like we're in Minnesota, so we should be sponsored by Sweet Martha's Cookies. Yeah. Sweet That's certainly better than spam. Uh, <laughs> Speaking of spam, email us at electionshocktherapy at gmail.com. When I went to the um, law school musical directed by one of our former students um, down at the U earlier this year, um, they kept joking about Totino's Pizza Rolls as their sponsor. So that nice. was their, yeah. there was some, they kept like weaving that in, which uh, Totino's is from the city. So. Yep. Yep. Which came first, Totino Grace or Totino's Pizza Rolls? Oh, I was going to say Totino's Pizza definitely did. I don't know about pizza. I don't know the like the actual origins of when pizza rolls <laughs> came on the scene. Yeah, um, I'm guessing. Later. I'm gonna guess pizza rolls first. But okay. I don't know. I don't know how okay. old Totino the, Grace the is. The school that pizza rolls built. I that'd be <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. One of uh, one of my benefactors at my undergraduate alma mater um, was a big tennis fan, and during the time that I was there, gave a very large bequest to the university to build a, a, a very state of the art indoor <laughs> tennis center. And um, the re- way he got his money was he owned a chain of drugstores, and that actually that, re- was, that allowed him to live well. But that wasn't right. what made him a bunch of money. What made him a bunch of money was he was one of the early adopters of the Beanie Baby craze. Oh. That he stocked Beanie Babies oh. in all of his drugstores. That he went in nice. on it early. Um, so he's the one person who made a lot of money off that. He's the one person <laughs> who made a lot of money. There's always babies. one. And so we we literally have a tennis center built by Beanie Babies. Wow. My, I wish it was campus. built of Beanie Baby. That would be, yeah. <laughs> be so plush and soft. Right. <laughs> crashed into the, into the siding. Oh, yeah, it would be great. Okay, so besides, uh, can you guys tell it's finals week, by the way? Uh, besides uh, yeah, the fact little. that we're on the move physically in the Bethel University buildings, we also have some personnel transitions uh, to announce. We've, made this, we've, we've, we've mentioned this before on the podcast, but uh, Mitch, this is probably your last podcast with us live and in person. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So you want to talk a little bit about your plans next year? Uh, so I will be uh, moving to uh, University of South Carolina, Aiken, uh, where I will uh, be taking up a, a assistant professorship, uh, once again teaching most of the same kind of classes here um, as, as, as I do here at Bethel, uh, so political philosophy and introduction to American, things like that. So, um, yeah, that's, that's basically where, where I will be next year. Yeah. We will, we will miss you, and we will yep. begrudge the warmer climbs that you are in. We'll think about you slightly aggrieved in January. Don't, don't send right. pictures. And you, will well, th- and you will think of us slightly aggrieved in August and September that's and October. True. That's true. Yeah, I'm picturing especially like in when September. When you are sweating like crazy. Yeah. I'm thinking in September when it's still yeah. painfully hot, and up here it's yeah. already nice right. fall weather. You can look at the Minnesota Fall so, Colors track, Tracker. Right, right. And, so yeah. tell us about your podcast co-host <laughs> down there. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know. He's got a launch one. Well, even he though, though Mitch has abandoned his Bethel contract, he's not out of contract. For, for, <laughs> it sounds like he like, <laughs> reneged on something. No. <laughs> but he's, uh, he's not left the election shock therapy stable. Uh, one of the benefits of our... May. <laughs> sorry. No, hey. Um, yeah, so sorry. we've... Um, We've, we've made some – we're not sure exactly what this is going to look like, but uh, Mitch is not uh, cut loose from electric shock therapy. Uh, you're going to be calling in maybe That's from right. time to time. Yep, we, yep. We're going to make sure that yep. uh, we get your feedback on, on South Carolina and the primaries. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, as, as, as a lot of candidates make their way through yeah. your neck of the woods. Maybe probably Joe Biden on the podcast. I know. I might be able to snag one of them. So. Like, we'll convince see. them we have a large audience. There are tens yeah. of listeners. Some of them are in Minnesota, a state mm-hmm. you'll be going That's right. to. That's yep. right. Um, that would be kind of amazing, actually. Yeah. Well, what, what would be extra fun is if I was able to grab Amy Klobuchar She's passing yeah. through South Carolina. That'd be kind of great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be like, hey, there's a Minnesota podcast. And since you're not right. going to probably win this nomination, <laughs> you might as well speak to people back in Minnesota. <laughs> yeah. 
So you could maybe get one of the like lower, lesser lights because yeah, yeah. you're going to be eager for anything. Mm-hmm. Right, absolutely. Um, yep. so Bennett, come here, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? <laughs> Which one? Oh, Bennett. Michael, yeah. Bennett. <laughs> Michael Bennett. John Delaney. John Hickenlooper. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh, like, hey, somebody who could pronounce my name. <laughs> so uh, we actually don't know what the roster of our fall Action Talk Therapy uh, podcast is going to look like exactly on a podcast by podcast basis. Stay we tuned. do have another um, political theorist and American politics yep. professor joining um, our faculty here to replace Dr. Crum. Um, we have not signed him to a contract yet. Our, our agents yeah. are still working together to work out the negotiations. He that, seems so he, amenable. He may be joining the podcast. He We're even not listens sure to this yet. podcast. So. Well, that's uh, he's probably listening to this then? right now. <laughs> Hi, new hire, whose name we won't reveal yet until you're ready. <laughs> so, uh, so that's all coming down the pipe. But before we break for today, before we say goodbye uh, to this iteration of Election Shock Therapy, I want to give each one of the of my uh, fellows here a chance to bring up a topic. Uh, that they find interesting at the end of the year. And just to keep this tight, because you can tell we're a little punchy, we're going to put a clock on this. So, Sam, how much time are you giving us? Uh, seven minutes on the clock. Seven minutes <laughs> on the clock. Do you have other noise at the end? or uh, He will yes. make one. Yes. All right. All right. All right. So, seven minutes. We're going to throw to uh, Mitch first. Uh, Mitch, what's your topic for the, at the end of this end of this year? Well, I was, uh, since I'm just wrapping up my second round of teaching uh, constitutional law, uh, I've been thinking about the court and how the court is wrapping up. Uh, and also what the court is getting ready to do next year as well. So, uh, so what I what I want to do is just do a rundown of what I think are the most interesting cases to watch. There are other cases out there that are, of course, interesting and, and significant, but these are the ones that I've been keeping an eye on, and a few of which, actually, of course, my students had to write about for their final exams. Nice. So, um, at any rate, uh, one case that's particularly interesting uh, is Apple versus Pepper. And <laughs> ap- I know. Shut up. I know. I know. I know. Is the jokes. Really the, name? the jokes write wow. themselves. So uh, but this is Apple, as in uh, you know the the computer makers and essentially what's interesting about this one there there are really two things that are interesting about this case so number one uh, this is the first major antitrust lawsuit against a major electronics company in a while that the Supreme Court is allowing Um, and the reason they are allowing it uh, is because the court has established in the past precedents that basically say you can't sue a company if uh, if the monopoly is through intermediaries. So if there's a mm. monopoly, but there are intermediaries, and that's what uh, Apple and other uh, major companies have argued. They've said, look, the developers are the ones who are actually selling mm-hmm. the products. We're just an intermediary, so you can't mm-hmm. sue us. But what they have argued, but what. Uh, the plaintiffs are arguing in this particular case is, is that, in fact, Apple, because they are collecting all of the money, are, in fact, selling all of the products and then paying the developers. And so, therefore, the Supreme mm. Court has decided to allow this as an antitrust to go through, and it looks like they might actually have a solid case, which would mean massive, uh, basically, earthquakes in the electronics world. Mm. Um, in addition to that, what's also interesting about this is the reason the case is allowed to go forward is because Justice Kavanaugh, recently appointed by President Trump, um, has sided with what are usually considered the four liberal justices to allow this case to go forward um, because he strongly believes that this looks like uh, a market failure and um, something that ought to be allowed to, to move forward. So uh, that's the first case. All right. Uh, second case to watch, um, uh, and this is, a, this is one that should be decided here sometime in, in June here, is Department of Commerce versus New York. This is the case that is the uh, basically deciding whether the citizenship question will be allowed on the U.S. Census. This has mm. enormous mm. implications yeah. for uh, most states, uh, especially states that have a large 
uh, a large um, immigrant population, particularly because uh, the way representation is apportioned in the United States is not simply a function of the number of citizens, but actually the number of residents right. in a state. So therefore, if you suppress uh, the number of respondents on a, uh, um, by using a citizenship questions, the states that have large numbers of immigrants are actually likely to see their representation decline. Um, and so this, mm-hmm. is, this is particularly important to, to states in that, in that kind of situation. And uh, the census itself is a goldmine for social scientists Absolutely. because, uh, which is why we, right. it probably gets overstudied as a topic uh-huh. only because um, it's all about sampling. It's all about how we measure something. And measuring the American population for these kinds of purposes is very politically fraught. Do you yep. just rely on counting every person you can count? Well, that undermines people who are harder to count, people who are right. poor, who, are, who don't have telephones. But that's what we have um, to do, right? Because, exactly. Because, of our, because it's written into the Constitution. Or so. do you have some kind of sampling yeah. process that yep. uh, estimates people? Right. Um, and, this is, and this is part of that as well. Yep, yep absolutely. Uh, the other, another big case to watch that should come down sometime in June uh, – here is um, is uh, uh, Lambda versus Binsec and Rancho versus Common Cause. Uh, these are the gerrymandering cases for Maryland and North Carolina. Nice. And uh, in both of those cases, so Justice Ginsburg has actually said she believes these are the most significant cases facing the court. Um, and the reason for that, of course, is that it has the potential to absolutely, you know, we're talking about earthquakes here. This would, if the Supreme Court were to rule against partisan gerrymandering, uh, this would have absolute massive, you know, earthquake uh, implications for representation in the United States. Hmm. Um, is that likely to happen, Mitch? Is that likely to happen? Probably not. Uh, I think I think it's likely that the court tries to stay out of it. So they had a chance to overturn uh, Wisconsin and Maryland's maps mm-hmm. last year, and they essentially punted on those cases. They basically said, we might be willing to consider this down the line. Lo and behold, we're down the line one year later. Right. Um, yeah. But at the time, they said that they didn't feel like they were ready to do it on that case. And, and the big problem that the court is facing on this is, what is the test? that they can use yeah. to determine yeah. when, ger- when when gerrymandering has gone too far. Um, right. And this this has been a challenge that the court has faced. Um, they haven't seemed to find a standard that they are willing to to adopt yet. Um, so yeah. the likelihood that they're that they're going to actually decide on a test this time seems remote. But mm. but you never know. Um, you know this is a problem, and it seems to be a growing problem. Yeah. And especially in these two cases, it's it's incredibly egregious um, in both North Carolina. And, so the Democrats in Maryland and the Republicans in North Carolina made it very clear that the reason they were redrawing the map was specifically to try to mm-hmm. um, harm the partisans of the other side. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, they were just open about it. And so that's that's pretty egregious in terms of undermining representation. Um, so the court might actually want to take action this time. So it feels like the only standard you could really get is like maybe the Potter-Stewart pornography standard, right? I mean, like, I know it when I see it, <laughs> I know right? I mean, right, right, um, yeah. And... Yeah, it's just that it almost sets up the court where they have to look at every... Right. I'm going to disagree with that, Andy. There are some mathematical models we could use to show that... Mm A, sure. Uh, the level at which a um, um, apportioned map differentiates from the will of the voters. Right. And you could set up some kind of mathematical standards that way, but the you court could, seems right. unlikely to do that. You right. Could. I mean, the, the most yeah. obvious one is if you have a certain percentage where right. you say, like, if there are if there's less than half of the representatives that we would expect to be from a certain party yeah. based on the votes sure. mm-hmm. that actually get into Congress, 
then maybe that's too much or whatever, right. whatever, right. however exactly. you want to set that threshold. Right. All right, you got time for one more, Mitch, go. Okay, I'll only one more. I need two more. I need two oh, more. I might have two more if you go quick. Okay, so the first one, the other one to watch here uh, is Maryland National Park versus the American Humanist Association. This is the question of the peace cross. <laughs> so Maryland National, so basically in Maryland, there is a massive 40-foot uh, cross on a, on a state park. And the question is, is that an establishment of religion? This has enormous <laughs> implications because there are crosses all over yep. um, national symbols and public lands. And so the mm -hmm. question is, um, are those allowed or are the or does that mean that Christianity is an established religion? Uh, another case to watch, and this one has, once again, huge implications, is New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus the city of New York. Mm. And this is a massive Second Amendment case. This is the first huge Second Amendment case the court has really taken uh, since the Heller case, which established the right, the, the, which established the precedent that the Second Amendment gives uh, a right to, to own a handgun for self-defense. Uh, this case, essentially, New York has a restriction that says you cannot transport your weapon. You can only own it in the home. Mm. Um, and the question is, is that an infringement on your Second Amendment rights? Is that my buzzer? No, it hasn't buzzed yet. It hasn't buzzed yet. Okay, so there's the second amendment. Uh, the other, th uh, so here, one more case, one more set of cases. Um, the right. next thing to watch next Fans year. Fans of Tweet Victory know this sound as the <laughs> fact that your time is now All right. Up. Well, the other uh, thing to watch, I'll just say this. <laughs> I, I have to He's leaving, give him 10 I know, seconds. I know. Right. I know. The other thing to watch is the court has taken several cases next year that are thinking about uh, employment discrimination based on sex. Mm -hmm. So there's one, there are a couple of cases, Altitude Express versus... Um, I wrote this so sloppily, I can't remember how, how to pronounce the last one. I'll do it express versus, uh, I think it's Zorda. Um, but basically the question is, uh, is does this, can uh, an employer fire someone because of, of same-sex attraction? Mm -hmm. And in a similar case that regards a funeral home versus an equal employment uh, commission, the question is, uh, can someone be fired uh because they because they have transitioned um, mm -hmm. uh, and are now mm -hmm. and are now uh, an, uh, the uh, uh, another gender and so the question is uh, and and so these these cases are likely to be lumped together yep. um, and considered together because it basically all considers the question of can can employers discriminate on the basis right. of sex Mitch if you don't come back for anything next year can you come back and do this because you did this last summer too yeah, yeah. and I love the like yeah. here's the things to watch for in the Supreme Court <laughs> in the right. summer it's my favorite yep. yeah I think Andy it's on to you all right well I'm going to just talk a little bit about um, sort of the modern political environment we find ourselves in. And I want to think about it a little bit here in this country, but also beyond our borders. Um, so I just led a book night at the Anselm House um, earlier this week on Patrick Deneen's Why Liberalism Failed and kind of talks about the, the challenges our system is undergoing. And basically, to kind of give the nutshell version of this, Deneen argues um, that liberalism as a system, and we're not talking about conservative liberals in the United States, but liberalism as a system could you is just failing. Like in 10 seconds, not 10 yeah. minutes, but could you very quickly define what, what we mean when we say liberalism in that system? Yeah, so I'm, yeah, actually I'm about to do that. So okay, basically his two big points is like what liberalism does is, is it advances the idea of individual liberty, right? And that says yep. autonomous individuals were separate from, separate from each other to some extent. We don't have duties as much as rights. Um, and we are then increasingly separate from nature. We can use it however we want and kind of maximize our profits and get what we want out of it, right? Which has led us to all sorts of um, real challenges in Deneen's account, right? Because the more you pursue that, you kind of keep giving people more and more um, individual liberty, right? Um, the, the less and less we have ties to each other and the more and more you have to augment state power um, to actually get anything done, right? And to actually keep people in line because we no longer have a sort of sense of shared responsibility. And that, that again, pertains both to our relationships with other humans and also our relationship to the environment, right? And so when mm -hmm. you think about sort of the breakdown of civic you know, relations, you think about the you know, many, many environmental issues we have, 
um, today that we're concerned about, right? Janine's getting at like what's at the root of this, and he thinks our our kind of system of living together, this liberal system, um, is at the root of it, right? So mm. and then one of the pr challenges you get out of that is um, then if that breaks down, like if we break down sort of these these ties that bind us, and it's all about individual liberty um, and our, our pursuing our own desires, right? Um, how do we still live together in community? How does that work, right? And so what you have to do is you increase state power. Um, and ultimately, of course, people start saying, well, you know, there's some people I identify with more than others. And so you become more and more polarized, which we see in our, our society, yeah. right? Um, which then has led to, you know, the, this, on the one hand, you get this sort of liberal progressive move, right, that Mitch was referencing with those cases, um, which suggests, like, people should be able to do all these things, you know, transition and so forth. And, and, and you know, they, I have rights and you can't, you can't, you know, fire me because you're uncomfortable with what I've done and so forth. Um, on the other hand, of course, you have people who say this is just, we don't want to see it, society going this way. We want to have a return to some kind of traditional um, way, right, which is in tension with the liberal system. And so how do you solve that problem? Um, you move toward a more of a populist approach, right? So people say, hey, we want something different than liberalism, um, and we're going to vote for basically somebody who can get that job done, right? And we've seen this a little bit in our own country with the move toward Donald Trump, who's kind of this more populist, um, and sometimes talks like an authoritarian. I don't want to call Trump an authoritarian um, exactly, but but, he, he, but he's admiring of some authoritarians. He's admiring of authoritarians, and he certainly seems to have some tendencies that way, although he's constrained by our system, which really blocks authoritarianism right. pretty effectively in this country. But it doesn't block um, populism, and he's no, populism No, it doesn't, and, he's, and he very much is, even though people say, oh, he's in tension with liberal democratic values, and in one sense he probably is, but he's also a product of them because people are saying, like, we don't like where this is taking us, so let's elect this guy to kind of roll some of this back. Now, the reason I w want to bring this up is I actually want to go beyond our borders because that, that kind of sets the stage, like, where does this kind of connect with the U.S. system? But I think um, beyond our own borders, we're seeing this trend elsewhere, right? And so it's interesting. Um, this week I've been reading, of course, papers and so forth, and one of my students wrote a really good paper for human rights on um, populist authoritarianism in the Philippines, right, with a guy mm -hmm. named Duterte who got elected about three years ago now, I think it was. Um, mm -hmm. And he was elected very explicitly on, I'm going to kind of bring order. I'm going to deal with the drug problem, right? And I'm going to deal with it however I need to. Mm -hmm. I will literally just like sort of have drug lords killed and drug dealers killed, right? He, no promised, trial, he promised amnesty for very efficient. Who shoots a drug yep, dealer. Yep. If you take out, if you're a policeman and you take out a drug dealer, I will, you know, patch you in the back. I will patch you in the back. I will pardon you. Um, I will make sure that you are rewarded, not punished, right? Um, and in fact, that's happened, right? And what's interesting about this, I mean, this is very disturbing from a kind of liberal democratic standpoint, right? Um, and again, I'm using that term liberalism in the classical sense, right? Um, because you're, you're just sort of ignoring people's rights, you're ignoring due process. Um, but what you're also doing, right, is um, you are dealing with the drug problem. And this does actually, in some ways, help with that part, right, um, at a very significant cost, I would argue. Um, and what's interesting in Duterte's case is he's very popular, right? This, his popularity ratings are I mean, like 80% plus, mm -hmm. right? Um, people are very very pleased with him because like hey a lot of the ordinary people are like he's he's getting the job done he's taking care of business he's not like these do nothing politicians right um, and we're seeing this rise elsewhere I mean in India they just reelected their kind of more populist um, and somewhat authoritarian and kind of religious nationalist um, Hindu government uh, under Modi um, just won a big victory I mean, by Indian parliamentary standards this was a really significant victory yeah. um, Brazil just elected somebody mm -hmm. last year right who's going down this path um, so I think what's interesting, Bolsonaro, um, Bolsonaro right? Um, and so what's interesting when you think about this, our own kind of you know ongoing discussions of our, our situation in the United States is 
it's not wholly different than what's going on elsewhere, right? There's a rising move. Like on the one hand, you know, liberal democracy has kind of been the wave around the world, right? Fukuyama 30 years ago said, you know, we're at the end of history and this is the way. Um, and and what Deneen's pointing to is there's some real tensions in the system. This leads to these tensions. And one of the ways out of this is populist authoritarianism. Um, and that's one of the ways people might try to solve it. That has a lot of problems. Um, but I think we're seeing a rise in that around the world. So that's my one one quote to your thought. Um, Fukuyama in Fukuyama's new book. Yeah, he he's still around. He essentially <laughs> re, he, he essentially acknowledges and says I was wrong. Yep. Yeah. Um, of course, as yeah. an academic, he can't quite just say I was wrong. But no. he but basically says <laughs> with a lot of nuance. People uh, people <laughs> forgot that I left the door open for return to populism. Yep. So yeah, <laughs> which I have just edited the book to say. No. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's not Wikipedia. Yep. All right. Um, all right. So. Does this – well, there's a lot more we can say about this. Oh, I yeah. think the populist authoritarian turn in um, uh, in the post-Cold post, post -Cold War era yeah. will be a big conversation. I think this will be the conversation for the next decade of our careers, guys. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I yeah. think we'll be dealing with this both at the, at the national level. Yep. I think we'll be dealing with it at the, at the international level yep. with the rise of leaders like Putin and Modi and Duterte as different versions of this. Yep. But also, let's see who the Democrats put up. To compete with Trump, <gasps> and the, I think the likelihood that someone who leans towards populism is very high. Yep. Yeah, and it's you know you kind of thinking of another political scientist, Sam Huntington's idea of like waves of democracy, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it does feel like we had that third wave of democracy, and are we in one of those kind of reverse waves where it's not a full reversal in the sense that you're you're moving away from elections as a way of choosing your government, but it maybe is somewhat of a reversal because those elections are becoming. I don't know. Some of them are less free, but the the people certainly the, the competition is less free surrounding them in terms of yeah, rights. That's a recession. That is time. And that's my time. <laughs> All right. So and I'm going to respect mine. Put you on your own <laughs> clock here. You said you wanted um, seven minutes. Uh, well, actually, I'm going to I'm going to go to five just because that's oh. I'm comfortable oh, with five. Wow. If you're, if you're confident. A tweet victory, I need confident. to keep mentioning tweet victory. We're not recording this week, but we'll be back. We'll be recording. Uh, At Andy underscore Berglund. That's right. <laughs> we'll be dropping episodes all summer. I'm um, so excited for that. Yes. Uh, so I'm going to go five minutes on mine. I'm going to start it. Uh, so mine is a question. I was thinking about, um, I was thinking about impeachment and these types of things. And I have a. This is sort of a hypothetical. Uh, yeah. But but I like I like I think political scientists. It's fun to listen to them play with hypotheticals. So here's the situation. Oh, yes. right. We're fun. That's so let's say that that <laughs> fun adjacent. Let's sure. say that impeachment hearings uh, begin. Uh, you know, they take a long time, but by by the time we get into twenty impeachment about Trump. Yes. All right. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and let's say that it, as those uh, investigations go, enough stuff gets uncovered that that the Senate, the Republicans in the Senate actually say, you know what, we do need to remove this person. But let's say this doesn't happen until pretty late in the game. So maybe even. Uh, into the early summer of 2020. Okay. Um, so at that point, I mean, Trump would be the nominee. We'd be past the primary process. Right, right, right. Um, what, what things are potentially in place? How, do, how would the Republican Party come up with a candidate mm -hmm. um, since we basically have skipped the process to which they would normally have their candidate? Right. Right. So the short answer is uh, the conventions are there to uh, to basically choose the nominee. Right. And even though there are lots of rules that, that essentially have removed the teeth from the conventions yep. um, in normal circumstances where you have a number of candidates running in primaries and those candidates receive uh, votes, essentially the way the, the process usually works is um, most, most – um, 
basically the states will allocate their uh, convention delegates based on the vote of based on the votes of whoever is in that state and those delegates are bound by the rules of the party to actually vote for whomever the voters voted for in that state mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Um, uh, however the que- the um, under certain circumstances so for example if no one gets a majority or if one of the candidates is no longer viable either because they are dead or because they have removed their name or for whatever reason they're no longer um, in the uh, in the in in play, then those delegates are free delegates. They can vote from wh- whomever they want. So if Donald Trump were impeached mm-hmm. and were removed and were therefore ineligible for office, it would fall to the delegates to to decide who they would who they would want to replace him as the Republican nominee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Could they make that happen post convention? That's actually a really good question. I don't know what the answer to that is. My 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 guess is it, it would act. My, my um, I, I would have to go and look at the party rules. Um, I, I imagine that uh, the party actually might not have any method for nominating somebody after the because, other. Because, I mean, it, it, as Andy brought up, um, I mean, obviously they would – it would be ridiculous to to remove someone from office that late. But let's right. say he – let's say the president dies post-convention right, right, right. because now you don't have the convention mechanism. Right. right. Like, right. I, there, I, there's a limited – I mean, there, there's a time period. Like, I think they're, they could possibly call it a convention to deal with extraordinary circumstances. Yeah. There is a certain point at which you can't because of printing ballots, right? right I mean, right. once ballots start getting printed, you're pretty much locked in. And at that point – like, so if somebody died, and this actually has happened before mm-hmm. um, with a vice presidential candidate, right, um, in 1912. Um, if the vice presidential candidate dies, right, they remain on the ballot. You still vote for that right. that ticket, and then the electors would then choose who to put in there. Right. Right? Okay. Now, in this in the one case it happened, it didn't matter in the slightest because it was Taft's VP and Taft got all of eight electoral votes, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, it, it didn't really have any significance. But, you yeah. you know, you, that, that's kind of what would happen at a certain point. My, I mean, on the impeachment question, I think there's no way, like, you basically, like, either it's compelling enough that you take care of it before the convention or you say it's not up to the American people to decide and – if you know, we would reconsider this question after November if, for right. some reason, they reelect a deeply flawed Donald Trump. So Sam offers a really interesting question here, but I think um, which, which is very unlikely. But yes. it does raise the it's question. Unlikely that I would ask an interesting no, 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 question. No, sorry. <laughs> it's, unli- it's unlikely that Trump would get impeached after the convention or close yep. to the convention. Yep. Right. It's unlikely he would die in the interregnum between the convention and the election. Sure, but yep. it does raise this other question, though, which is if the House is going to launch an impeachment hearing. And they probably are under some pressure to do it sooner rather than later. Yes. There's actually right. a narrower yes. window right. that we think of to do yep. this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. No, if they're going to do it, they should do it really soon. <laughs> and, yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. and I realize I asked yeah. this as a hypothetical, but I am pitching a Netflix series. So I just wanted to know from <laughs> right. your professional <laughs> <Good>. opinions, like, <laughs> yep. how would I set this up? Because I would Any casting it. choices you'd like to reveal? <laughs> I, I, we're, we're early in the process, so I can't okay. reveal any names. But uh, okay. But yeah, well, I'm, I'm very excited about the possibilities. If there's if there's if a whole bunch of Irish actors that are now free. <laughs> 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 All right. So I, I actually came in under time, so I yield my time. Oh, wow. Wow, he's even parliamentary so with it. Well, just like Mitch likes to uh, preview the summer uh, Supreme Court sessions, I always like to uh, fish around for some book recommendations for you all. And one of my most... One of my favorite moments of this final exam week was I had a student who um, had took a couple of my classes, was not one of our majors, a physics major, uh, who just dropped in my office yesterday and asked me, what's a book right now that you're, that's important to your scholarship? What's a book that's important to your faith? And what's a book I can read just for fun? And he was going around to all of his professors and asking yeah. this question. Mm-hmm. And I found that real, cool. both astute, wise, and, and also very moving. And so I'm not going to ask you exactly those three questions, but I do want to know, what are you reading right now? And what would you recommend people read this summer? 
Do you want me to go first? If you're sure. ready. Okay, mine, mine will be the, the least political uh, because I'm not a political scientist. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's fair. And it's actually not, not historical either. But uh, for me, going into summer is especially a time when I'm just reading the stuff I'm interested in reading. Uh, I have a, a talk I need to give at the end of the summer that mm. I'm preparing for. So I'm actually going to spend the mm. summer rereading uh, a bunch of stuff so that the next book I'm going to reread and a book I would recommend. So I'm going to answer with the same book. Okay. Um, and that is uh, in 2012, uh, the late David Foster Wallace um, mm. had a book uh, published posthumously, um, which almost won the Pulitzer Prize, but didn't. They didn't actually mm. award one that year. Uh, and the book's called The Pale King. Mm. Uh, it's about, uh, it's a very strange book about um, IRS accountants and auditors in the mid 1980s. <laughs> It's one of my. Oh, you got me hooked now. It's 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 one of my. Well, okay. Do you want me to really sell you on it? It's a book about boredom and tedium. Yeah, Uh, I've I've heard you make this. Yeah, it's like it's one of my favorite books. So that's that. When I finish grading, that's going to be the first book that I read, and I actually really love this book. So So you're going to go from (laughs) tedium to tedium? Is what you're saying? It's yeah. He's one of my favorite writers. So that's you do know how to have fun. Yeah, and it's it's more approachable than some other Wallace. Like I I could throw out Infinite Jest to just sound pretentious, but which yeah, but I. I won't do that. I'll say the Pale King. Wow, that's um. <laughs> so, I, I don't. I, Andy, the, good thing, the good thing is, I don't think Sam set the bar like super high in terms of like making this readable for our, our listeners. So I feel good about them. Maybe like saying like we might go with one of the other suggestions. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm um, sure yours are, yours are more, <laughs> probably more readable actually. Um, yeah. So I what I'm actually reading right now, um, and when I'm not grading um, student papers, is a book that Mitch gave me um, because he had an extra copy and he very kindly bequeathed it to me as part of our office sorting. Um, and it's the letters of J.R. Tolkien, edited mm-hmm. by oh, Humphrey Carpenter with assistance by um, Tolkien's son, Christopher. And they're really interesting. They, so they date from um, the earliest ones like from 1913, I think, um, and all, all the way up till his death in 1973. And so I'm up to about 1955, I think. Um, and it's just really interesting sort of like thinking about hearing him think about the creative process, thinking about his friendships, thinking about d- kind of different life challenges. And of course, he was an academic. And so just thinking about, you know, all the things like you're snowed under by this work and he's always like talking about all these exams I have to grade and he was doing all extra exam grading kind of for I guess the equivalent of you know CLEP or something like that right <laughs> at the time and so it's just um, you know it, yeah it, it just is resonating with me and it's enjoyable he also makes these little like um, smart remarks about Americans um, who he's not terribly fond of us um, so <laughs> that that's a lot of fun so letters um, by of Tolkien and then in terms of uh, summer reads I guess it I, I always, of course, want to recommend Lord of the Rings. I, when the, the same student came by and talked to me, I love, I love that. But in terms of pol- more political reads, um, I think that Deneen, Why Liberalism Failed book is really interesting. And I do think it's actually pretty accessible um, mm-hmm. to non-political scientists. So it is a good political yeah. science book. I think he's thinking deeply about political issues. But he also is kind of taking the big picture. And so he's not getting into the weeds as much as political science books often do. Um, he's probably open to some criticism from political scientists for that reason. Mm. Um, but I think he really does a nice job of kind of pitching a kind of big picture critique of our system, why we're struggling. Um, and it's only about 200 pages. Um, and it's definitely an easier read than Sam's recommendation. So. <laughs> Mitch, how about you? Yeah. Uh, so Andy stole one of mine, which is why liberalism failed. Sorry. I was going to recommend that one. I, um, but, uh, <coughs> and, and I would, I would echo his, his, his recommendation of, of that. I think it's, it just, if, if for nothing else, it's certainly at the center of a lot of political philosophy conversation right now. Yeah. Uh, and it's definitely very accessible. It's something yep. that, uh, you know, you don't need to be, somebody who's well-versed in, you know, Kant or whatever to, to be able to um, understand what's going on. Yeah. Um, uh, beyond that, uh, 
what I'm going to be, so in terms of uh, <coughs> books that I'm reading right now, I'm actually reading a biography of Calvin, um, mm-hmm. which is uh, which is quite interesting, which is um, oh, uh, Bruce Gordon's uh, biography okay. of Calvin, nice. which is which is excellent. Um, huh. It's it's a nice little one volume uh, take take on him, um, which it's what's 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 interesting is uh, essentially some of the some of the contradictions in Calvin's life, of course. Um, which which are very which are fascinating. I mean, mm, just just thinking mm-hmm. about you know he's somebody who has a you know basically a enormous cosmopolitan worldwide impact, um, but he's very much just sort of in a backwater. He's mm-hmm. he's basically lives most of his life in Geneva, which is just you know not the center yep. of of anything. Um, and uh, you know he's somebody who who preaches and very much believes in God's love, but he's also somebody who's very prickly and is mm-hmm. um, often not even very nice to his friends. Um, and so you know there's there's all sorts of sort of interesting hmm. you know tensions and contrasts mm-hmm. in his life. I mean, he's even somebody who I mean he's, he's somebody who acknowledges this. I mean he even says like you know at, at certain times in his life he's like I recognize that I'm actually not a particularly <laughs> nice person and I probably should be nicer. Um, he doesn't not in as many words, but he basically yeah. s- acknowledges this. But then at the same time, like even to his death, he still has enemies and people that he's going after. Mm. Um, so at any rate, uh, so so that's um, that's that's one I would recommend it. I, it's it's again, if you think about accessible, this is a very accessible biography. It's not something you know, it's not a tome mm. or anything like that. Nice. Um, I'm also I, I've been reading on and off again when I can get some time just to look at it. Um, it's called the Fellowship. Um, the Incl- uh, I'm going to get the title wrong if I don't call it up here. I pulled the it's the Fellowship: The Literary Lives of the Inklings, J.R.R. Tolkien, oh, C.S. Lewis, Owen Barfield, and uh, Charles Williams by mm-hmm. uh, Philip and Carol uh, Zelaski. and mm-hmm. uh, very, very good. At, at my so, if I'm going to be a literary critic here for a moment, they probably needed an editor. It's a little bit over lengthy for what it is, mm-hmm. um, but nonetheless, it's actually uh, it's it's filled with lots of interesting insights uh, about the Inklings mm-hmm. and their interactions with each other, um, and how this led to all of the you know wonderful things that we've been talking about as far as you know yeah. Narnia and Lord of the Rings etc um, and, <laughs> and uh, Charles Williams if you consider that wonderful yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but at any rate uh, in terms of this other stuff I'm going to be reading um, I'm going to be getting back this summer I'm going to be getting back into Scheller and Burke um, for a project that I'm mm. working on right now and um, I, I, of course, I always recommend that people read more Burke. Um, Burke is wonderful. Dan and would agree with you on this. I thing. know. Um, and, and Schiller is actually great, too. So Schiller is somebody that I wasn't exposed to until I was in grad school um, and did a class on aesthetics. And uh, Schiller is uh, somebody who thinks about aesthetics as the core of education. So he thinks aesthetics is actually what... Um, and, and beauty is actually what education should be all about. Mm. Um, and that essentially by doing that, you, you essentially set people up to understand everything else. Um, and so I, so I, I would recommend I, Schiller is depending on, um, you know, uh, it's, 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 he's not overly lengthy, but especially if you're thinking about what is education supposed to do, um, mm-hmm. the aesthetic education of man is actually an, a wonderful, mm-hmm. um, uh, interesting thing to, to, to read and think about. So, yeah. All right. Well, I think there's a philosophical bent to all of our <coughs> books recommendations, right? So uh, what I'm reading right now, I'm looking, I'm reading a book by uh, Karen, uh, I believe it's Yarhi Milo um, is her name. She's a Princeton University professor. Uh, the title of her book is Who Fights for Reputation? The Psychology of Leaders in International Conflict. And I'll be teaching my political psychology class uh, this coming fall. Nice. Uh, this is a 2018 book. Here's the quick blurb. 
In New Fights for Reputation, uh, Karen Yarhi-Milo uh, provides an original framework based on insights from psychology to explain why some political leaders are more willing to use military force to defend their reputation than others. Mm. Rather than focusing on a leader's background, beliefs, bargaining skills, or biases, Yarhi-Milo draws on a systematic link between a trait called self-monitoring and foreign policy behavior. She examines self-monitoring amongst national leaders and advisors and shows that while high, high self-monitoring uh, high self-monitors modify their behavior strategically to cultivate self-enhancing status, low self-monitors are less likely to change their behavior in response to reputation concerns. Hmm. And if this, is, if this is a good book, if this is a good, if this is a good study, what this does is it solves this problem in international politics whereby it seems sometimes like reputation matters a lot and sometimes mm-hmm. it seems like reputation doesn't matter. Reputation doesn't matter at all. Well, perhaps it's rooted in the psychology of leaders. So I'm excited mm-hmm. to read this book and, mm-hmm. and see if she has a good answer for that. Cool. cool. My recommendation... It's a book that I also assigned this semester and also tilts towards the political philosophy. Mm. And we've already mentioned Francis Fukuyama on this uh, <laughs> podcast. Uh, his most recent book, a 2017 or 2018 book, is called Identity. And it's, his, it's a short book. It's a, it's a polemic. And it's his um, dealing with uh, the, the concept of identity politics. And mm. I think, much like nationalism, populism is going to dominate our conversations for the next decade, I think wrapped up in that will be how we approach identity politics. Fukuyama was a critic. Mm-hmm. Fukuyama believes that uh, the focus of liberalism onto the individual has led us into this pathway towards identity huh. politics that's ultimately destructive uh, for, the, for the polity and for society. Yeah. And um, it's an interesting critique. It doesn't actually, it's not a very constructive critique. He doesn't really have a, what do we go from here? But it's a pretty elegant takedown. And mm-hmm. um, I'd recommend reading it. That actually sounds like a good pairing with Deneen because that, yeah. that resonates with a lot of his concerns too. So I should probably read that. So. You, you kind of told me on that. I might... I might pick up the Calvin biography. I'm not adding David Foster Wallace. I'm so sorry. Uh, but David, I'll every come time to I your house and read a little bit every day to you. Okay, <laughs> you can come do that. If that you sounds want. delightful. Yeah, I can. I can work in the garden. Yeah, you can read me right. a little David Perfect. Foster Wallace. That there sounds go. good. Um, every time I think of David Foster Wallace, who I've never read, but um, I think of James K. Smith because mm-hmm. I've led mm-hmm. multiple book groups on James K. Smith books. And he loves David Foster Wallace. Like <laughs> my co-leader and I would just joke about because like he's like, yep, there's the obligatory David Foster Wallace <laughs> reference that he will jam in there whether right. it fits or not. <laughs> so yeah. All right, guys, uh, we need to get out of here. So um, <laughs> we actually we need literally, to get out of here. Literally, there, there was pounding on the wall earlier. There are boxes right. to pack. There I have are a carts feeling to wheel. Walls are going to collapse behind know, us as we walk. Yeah. Like can, we, can we conclude by singing Edelweiss before? <laughs> <laughs> no, wow. no, we cannot yeah. do that. Edelweiss. <laughs> <laughs> Anything you want to sing, Sam? <laughs> <laughs> Pass. All right. <laughs> On behalf of my increasingly punchy <laughs> colleagues here at Bethel University, you've been listening to Election Shock Therapy. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at electionshocktherapy at gmail.com. Um, and if you are one of those sponsors, Hot Pockets, <laughs> my eyes on you, uh, right. let us know. Um, thanks for listening. We'll be, we'll be back soon in your feed. Until we are, go Royals. 